It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, go to ellerslie.com. Well, good to see everyone. Uh, If you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 24, uh, if you want to turn there. Uh, Over the last several studies that we've been in, we've been looking at this idea of life in the Word, uh, both life in the person, right, the Word of God in person, Jesus, uh, but also life in the Word in terms of the text. So what does it mean to be getting into Scripture? And last time, we started looking at this idea of what is the purpose of for getting into scripture. So what is the purpose for reading the Bible? What is the purpose for studying the Bible? Why why do we get into scripture? And we were fleshing this out, but just as a reminder, since uh, most of us have slept since that point, uh, the reason we get into the word uh, is not out of duty. It's not out of obligation. It's not because of a have to. It's not because there's a thumb in our back. Uh, It's not because if you flick pages, it wards off demons. It's not because of homework. It's not to prove somebody wrong or any of the other reasons. The reason we get into the word is to know the author. And and it's literally to be pressed into the reality of Christ and to know him and to, as we talked about in previous studies, this idea of not just knowing about, but intimately knowing our God. So the reason we get into into the word is to know Jesus and as an outflow of that, to be transformed by truth. So in light of all of that, I want to look at this incredible passage in Luke 24, which is maybe, I probably say it with all my passages, but it is one of my all-time favorites. Really, uh, it is. So I want to talk about this story, which shows up at the end of Luke, which is the road to Emmaus scene. So what I want to do is I want to read the entire passage and then come back and kind of wade through it a little bit. So here's what Luke records right after the resurrection of Jesus in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. Luke says, and behold, two disciples were going that same day to a village named Emmaus, which was approximately seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were conversing with each other about all these things which had happened. And it happened that while they were conversing and debating, Jesus himself approached and was going with him. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And Jesus said to them, what are these words that you are discussing with one another as you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. And one of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And Jesus said to them, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a mighty prophet in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all of this, it is the third day since these things have happened. But also some women among us astounded us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and not finding his body, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it exactly as the women also said. But him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going and he acted as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with him. And it happened that 
when he was reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And after breaking it, he was, he was given it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us. And they stood up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the 11 and those with them who were saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they were relating their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. I don't know about you, but that is an incredible passage. So again, let me just walk through this with you. There's these two disciples, which we know are not one of the main 12, right? One of them is Cleopas, which we never hear about outside of the story. And the other one is some unknown disciple. And they're, they're on their way to Emmaus. Could you imagine this? They're, they're, they're walking seven miles. They're downcast. And why are they downcast? Because their hope in Jesus has just been literally squashed. The one that they thought was the Messiah, the one that they had put their trust and their hope in for these three and a half years has, has now been crucified. Yeah, there's rumors, those crazy ladies, you know, they're saying they saw things, but you, you, you can't trust them. Obviously they saw angels and who does that, right? And, and so there's all this talk, but they're, they're questioning their concern. And as we're walking along the path, right, this man shows up. Now we know the backstory. We know it's Jesus, which I think is hilarious. They didn't recognize him. And they're, they're saying, hey, or sorry, Jesus says, hey, what's going on? Why are you so downcast? And they're like, are you kidding me? Are you the only one in Jerusalem? And you realize we're talking hundreds of thousands of people. This is the time of the Passover. So we're, hey, are you the only one who has not heard these things? And he's like, what's going on? <laughs> Could you imagine? And these disciples are like, uh, hello, the Messiah has just been crucified. And it says, and I love this passage. It says that Jesus literally says, you are idiots. Okay, that's, that's not a word for word translation. But, but he says, hey, are, are, you, are you so foolish? Do you not know what the prophets are, have been saying about the Messiah and that he had to suffer? And there's this incredible passage where it says, let me, let me give this to you, in the seven mile intensive of the Old Testament, it says that beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. I, I, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of stories I wish I could have been at if we could somehow hop in a time machine and go back and see the stories, uh, there's a lot that I've been like, that would be a neat one. Uh, there's, there's these epic moments that I would love to have actually visually seen. But if I could only pick one, this one may be at the top of my list. And the reasoning is I want to know what stories did Jesus point to? I mean, could you imagine you're on the seven mile walk and as you're, as you're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which is the road's still there. It's this little tiny path that just kind of meanders through the mountains. In the seven mile journey, could you imagine here's Jesus and he really just walks through the Old Testament saying, you guys obviously have no clue. Let me walk you through your scriptures and tell you what it says about the Messiah. And he literally is walking through saying, that's about the Messiah. That's about the Messiah. Do you see it? Do you see it? Do you see it? That's about me. That's about me. That's about me. That's about me. And he's literally giving this seven mile intensive of the Old Testament concerning how everything in the Old Testament showcases the reality of Jesus Christ. Now, obviously he could not go through the entirety of scripture because it's only seven miles. So even if you walked slowly, we're still only talking a couple of hours, but what stories did Jesus share? Like, like what did he go through to prove himself as the Messiah through the Old Testament scriptures? Now you realize this is not the only time this shows up. Uh, and in other words, 
there's a whole bunch of scenes throughout the gospels where Jesus is talking usually to the Pharisees and they're missing the fact that their scriptures are all about Jesus. Uh, For example, in Luke chapter four, Jesus is up in Nazareth and he he comes on, on, on the Sabbath day, he comes in the synagogue, he gets the scroll of Isaiah and he reads this phenomenal passage. Listen to this. It says that the scroll of the, uh, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him and he opened the scroll and he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And it says he closed the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down and all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Woo, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Did you hear that? Jesus says that passage in Isaiah, right now that thing is being fulfilled. That, that I am the fulfillment of that passage. Or, or Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. And if you guys were here on Sunday, we talked about that word fulfill. It's this idea of to satisfy, to complete, or this idea of to fill up a cup completely. And so Jesus says, hey, I've not thrown out the Old Testament. In fact, I've grabbed the Old Testament and I have satisfied that thing. I've completed that thing. I have filled it up, which is a phenomenal, phenomenal idea. Uh, John chapter five, I love this passage. He's talking to the Pharisees. Uh, and we've looked at this passage before, but in John chapter five, Jesus is talking to these Pharisees who know the, the Old Testament so well, but Jesus accuses them and says, hey, you search the scriptures because you think in them that you have eternal life, but it is these that bear witness about me. He says, here you are searching the Old Testament, but the Old Testament is screaming in your face. It's all about one thing, me. And then a few verses later, because they start arguing about Moses, because you know, if you're gonna argue Old Testament, you have to bring up Moses. And Jesus says, fine, you want to argue Moses? Let's argue Moses. And then he says in, in verse 46 of chapter five of John, Jesus says, if you believe Moses, you would believe me. Why? Because Moses wrote about me. Now you could say, <clears throat> hark. Uh, the name Jesus does not show up in Genesis or Deuteronomy. So how on earth does Moses write about Jesus? And Jesus would say, it's all about me. Everything going on from creation through the Deuteronomy sermon is all pertaining to the reality of Christ and his work upon the cross. So he says, hey, if you want to argue Moses, that's fine. Let's argue Moses. But Moses believed me. Hey, hey, Moses wrote all about me. So do you get get this idea then that as you get into scripture, scripture is this phenomenal declaration of one thing, Jesus. Jesus. Now, we've, said, we've talked about this so many times over, over the years, but you realize that the entirety of the Old Testament, and obviously the New Testament, but the entirety of the Old Testament pertains to Jesus Christ. It's all a revelation of our precious Savior and his work upon the cross. So here's, here's just some, for kicks and giggles, here's some ways that you can see Jesus in the Old Testament. Now, this is not a complete list, but if you want to get started, here's how you can start finding them. Uh, you look at the covenants. What do you see? You see Jesus as the fulfillment of all the covenants. As you look at the promises and the prophecies, Jesus is the fulfillment of that. That as you look at the people, right? Paul uses the term, it's a type. 
that, that Adam is a big finger pointing to a greater reality, which is Christ, the second Adam. Or you look at David, the, the true and rightful anointed king, and he's like a big finger pointing to the greater reality of the king, Jesus. Now we understand David is David. David had sin. David has problems. Amen. We understand that. But it's like their, their shadows or their fingers pointing to a greater reality, which is pointing to Jesus. And Paul uses a bunch of those as illustrations in the book of Romans. Uh, that shows up in like the book of Hebrews. You have these people who are types. Uh, if you look at the histories, what do you see? You see the reality of Christ. When you look at the sacrifices and the offerings, what do you see? You, you see them as foreshadows of a greater sacrifice, the Passover lamb, right? Which is Jesus. And if you read the book of Hebrews, the whole thing is saying, Jesus is the fulfillment of all this. Or if you look at the lineages, or if you look at geography, or the tabernacle and the temple, the festivals and the holidays, the Jewish calendar, the names of God. If you look at each of the individual books, every book of the Bible points to Jesus as a book. Or if you look at the overall story of scripture, the entire narrative of scripture is coming to one mountain and the work upon that mountain that Jesus did at the cross. So what you begin to recognize is that, yes, there's a whole bunch of micro stories or sub stories within the global text of scripture. And yet the totality of the word of God, this thing that we call scripture is all about one thing. It's all about the author. So could you imagine how phenomenal it would have been for Jesus to, to wrap his arms around these two disciples and they're walking seven miles on this little road and Jesus says, "Woo! let me just open up the scriptures to you and tell you all about myself. So I, don't, I have no idea which passages or what stories that Jesus would have used to showcase himself as the Messiah, but I wish I could have been there because what you would have heard is this phenomenal stirring and declaration of Jesus, his perspective is that he is on every page of scripture. And so when it says that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted or expounded, demonstrated himself in all the scriptures, that that is Jewish language to talk about the totality of the Old Testament. That literally Jesus took the totality of the Old Testament and said, that's about me. Not phenomenal. Which means, please be encouraged because you guys look angry. That should encourage us because as we come into the Old Testament and begin to read the Old Testament, we should be looking for one thing, Jesus. And, and most of us, seeing that we're recording this in early January, have probably started our you know, New, Year, New Year Bible plan reading, right? And most of us are probably stuck in Leviticus. And, and can I encourage you, as you're reading through the Old Testament, as you're doing Old Testament studies, allow Jesus to reveal himself to us. Now, again, you need to read and study in context. In other words, don't go lifting up under every rock looking for Jesus. Because, uh, you know, we've had some awkward statements by some students where they're like, look, I saw Jesus. And they're like, that's not, that's not Jesus, right? Je just because Jezebel and Jesus start with the same letter does not mean that Jezebel points to Jesus, right? You know, like there's, there are some, we need to study in context, right? Every time you see tree, it does not mean a cross. Every time you see the color red, it doesn't mean it's the blood. But, but there's these phenomenal portrayals of Christ if we would allow God to speak to us through the word. So as we're in the word, can I encourage you, uh, allow God to give you insight into who he is. 
And if the primary reason we come to the scriptures is to know the author and to be transformed by truth, how phenomenal would it be for us to humbly bend our knee before the word and say, God, I'm coming into your word today. Could you just reveal Jesus to me? Would you just really take, take the gaze of my soul and really plant it upon yourself? And Lord, wherever I'm reading, whether it be Genesis through the maps, would you showcase the reality of Christ in my life? Do you know what that does to you? That will change your life. In fact, so much so that I, and I love the statement in the passage, that when the disciples, coming back to the story of Emmaus, the Emmaus road thing, do you realize what they experienced is the same thing you need to experience? They experienced heartburn. And do you know what my prayer for you is? That you would experience heartburn. That you would just die of heartburn. Wouldn't that be phenomenal? not physically, spiritually. Okay. Uh, here's the passage, Luke 24, 32. Listen to this. This is so amazing. This is Jesus just broke bread with them. Jesus disappeared. They looked at each other. The mouths were hanging open. And they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? And of course, then they ran back to seven miles. Do you know what a revelation of Jesus will do in your life? If, if we would come humbly before the word and we would say, God, I, I want you to reveal yourself to me through the scriptures. God, I, I want you to take Jesus and like burn him in my perspective as I come into your word. Do you know what happens as, as you begin to see Jesus and the revelation of Christ through the word? It will give you heartburn. And if you've never experienced spiritual heartburn, you are, you are missing out. That is better than chocolate. That thing is better. I mean, that thing is better than anything you can name because there's something that begins to happen when, when you're getting into scripture and God begins to give revelation and you begin to see Jesus through the text. It, it just stirs you. It just burns something within you. And you just start to like, whoa, look at this thing. And it'll begin to change your life. And if you're not in this constant, whoa, wow, of, of heartburn, pray for it, go after it. Because what, again, I, I love this story of the road to Emmaus because you see something that I think God is wanting to do in all of our lives, which is, wouldn't it be phenomenal that even when we were downcast and having a horrible day and just think our whole lives are falling apart because the, there's, all of our hope is gone in the Messiah, wouldn't it be phenomenal if you would allow Jesus to come alongside you and really walk you through the word and really open up the word and expose himself to you through the word. And in that exposure of himself through the word and in that revelation of the word, Wow! Wow! And they were never the same again. In fact, they were they were able to run over a 10k in minutes. Okay, we don't have the time, but but I'm confident they didn't just casually like that was cool. Let's walk back to Jerusalem. I'm sure they 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 just ran like crazy. Do you know what that would do to your spiritual life if you would come to the Word and let God give you heartburn? And again, if you've never experienced that, will you pray and ask God to give you heartburn? But I'm convinced, as we're talking about this idea of life in the word, one of the phenomenal realities of what God is wanting to distinctly do in your life is that he wants to reveal himself to you through his word. So why don't we just pray and just ask that God would do that in our lives? That as we enter into this new year and as, you know, again, wherever you're studying, wherever you're reading, that that this wouldn't just be a have to, this thing wouldn't just be a thumb in your back, that this wouldn't just be a, all right, I guess I'll read it because you know, a chapter a day keeps the devil away. That, that somehow this goes far beyond all of those reasons and becomes, oh, I, I've got to know the author and I, and I want to have an encounter and experience with the author of this book. 
So why don't we just pray and ask for that? Uh, Jesus, we, we do want a fresh revelation of you through your word. Lord, we don't, we don't want to come to your word just because we have to. We want to come to the word because, oh, we get to. And Lord, I pray like Cleopas and this other disciple that as we come to your word, that, that you would take your word and that you would begin to expose and illuminate and interpret to us the things concerning yourself. And Lord, whether it be through Genesis, through the maps, Lord, would, would you take the reality, the truth of your scripture and burn it deep in our hearts? Lord, I pray that this becomes far more than an intellectual exercise. Lord, I, I pray that you would give us heartburn, that, that we would be so overwhelmed by the reality of, of the God, the living God of the universe, that, that you have spoken and, and this book has captured your speaking. That somehow when, when we get into this book, as we've talked in the past, some, somehow we would have an encounter with the living God. That this is more than just ink on paper. That, that Lord, somehow you would speak and stir and change our lives through your word. And so, Lord, we just want to humbly posture ourselves below, beneath your word, and say that in any area where we are different than the word, Lord, we are the ones that are in the wrong that we are not going to change scripture to fit our desires or our preferences or our sin. But Lord, what we desire is for you to radically transform our lives, that, that you would conform us to, to the image of Christ, that, that you would take this word as, as, as a measuring stick and that you would measure our lives and, and, and you begin to bend our lives around this word. But Lord, I pray that this wouldn't just be an academic endeavor, Lord, I pray that this wouldn't just be a duty or a have to. Lord, I pray that this would be a delight. Lord, I pray that this would just cause our gaze to turn heavenward. Lord, I pray that this would just cause an excitement to bubble forth in our lives and that we would be overwhelmed by the reality of Christ. Lord, give us heartburn for the revelation of you through your word. We just thank you for that opportunity. We love you, Jesus, and thank you for all that you're doing in these days. We just give you all the praise, the glory forever and ever. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. If you'd like to learn more about Ellerslie, our discipleship programs, or support the ministry financially, please go to ellerslie.com to 